For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. No Kane, no Ronaldo, no striker, no problem. Another 5-0 home win for Manchester City, this time over Arsenal, means the season is well and truly underway, just in time for this weekend's international break to kill all the momentum that's been built up so far. But it gives us an opportunity to take a longer look at some of the stories around the club from the last week on today's Blue Moon podcast. The transfer window is closed and City weren't able to bring in the Aguero replacement that was promised over the summer. We lose a very important legend in Sergio Aguero. But I'm confident that we will, we will find the right player to fill those shoes. Well, that didn't happen. However, they also didn't lose any of their squad either, despite reports that players like Emerick Laporte, Bernardo Silva and Gabriel Jesus were all unhappy and wanted to leave. We'll assess the transfer window as a whole, plus we'll hear the second part of our interview with former City defender Terry Phelan, and we'll take some of your questions as well. I'm David Mooney. With me this week, I've got two City fans, one football's Dan Burke. Hello. And making her podcast debut, Anya Hudson. Hello. So uh, let's kick off with uh, the Arsenal game. Um, I mean, Dan, first things first, I, I, I've still, you know, we're, we're nearly a week on from this game now and I've not been able to put my finger on whether <laughs> like whether it was City being good or Arsenal being bad. Is, is it just that the truth is somewhere in the middle there? Well, I mean, Arsenal weren't just bad, whether they were terrible. <laughs> I, I, I thought we wouldn't see a worse performance at the Etihad this season than, than the one Norwich put in uh, the week before, but I think Arsenal were actually worse than them. The, the defending was abysmal there, pressing was pathetic. Um, they just looked like a totally rudderless team, which is a bit of a surprise to me because I was expecting much better from Arteta based on the, the rave reviews he got during his time at City, but he just looked so out of his depth and I find it really hard to imagine him turning it around for them at this point. Um, I mean, that said, yeah, City scored the goals, they were in total control of the game. I think it flashed up on TV at one point, the possession last five minutes stats and City had 99% possession, which tells you how that game was going at points and everyone on the pitch worked hard. They performed at a really high level. So hopefully they'll take some confidence from that. Uh, you know, 10 goals in two games is not to be sniffed at. It's a shame that there's an international break now because I worry that might disrupt, disrupt their flow a little bit. Um, but I think it's generally a bit hard to read too much into these early season results for City through no fault of their own they were they were a bit undercooked in that defeat at Spurs and then they've battered two teams at home who just weren't at the races so um, we've got Chelsea PSG and Liverpool in quick succession at the end of September early October and I think that could be a pretty season defining run of games Yeah I mean that said though Anya I mean it, it is a positive for City that they can put five past a team without particularly leaving second gear isn't it? Yeah, absolutely like I think it emphasised the point that while we do have clearly no striker We've got a lot of other creative players that are more than able to do a job. I do worry that it might lure us into kind of a false sense of believing that everything's going to be okay. We all know there are going to be games down the line where it's going to be the case that we need that strike, we need that nine to finish chances, and we're going to face opposition a lot greater than Arsenal. For me, Arsenal are quite like a bogey team. I think we've got quite a few in the Premier League like that. And I fully expected Arteta to do a lot better than he did. But again, 
the desire of them was just awful. It was like painful to watch at points. But again, we've got no real pressing issues elsewhere. So I think that's the point that I took away from it. We are okay. But like I say, down the line, there's going to be points where we need to be more than okay. Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned it there, Dan, in terms of, of, of City's uh, striker options. Let's let's talk about Ferran Torres and a little bit about Gabriel Jesus as well. Because um, Torres especially has started the season pretty well. He ended last season pretty well. Uh, the signs are there, aren't they, that he's settling in? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't great against Spurs, but the last couple of games, definitely he's looked really good. I think against Norwich, he was a bit unlucky to have that goal chalked off because he took that really well. I was impressed with him for Spain at the Euros too. Um, you know, his movement's really good. That's been highlighted a lot in the past few days. He's he's quick. He knows where the goal is. And he's not a bad finisher either. So I, I think he should be considered a good signing so far. And hopefully he can he can kick on even more this season because I think he's going to get plenty of opportunities with the, with the lack of a striker. Yeah, Anya, is, is he the centre-forward option for you now? Is, there, is this, I mean, he's, he's had two good games, I think, in, in, in a City shirt this season so far. It's it's almost as if Guardiola's saying, you know, I haven't got a striker, go, and, go there and be that for me. Is, is that for you as well? I think he's definitely been dealt a golden opportunity, especially in the way that Pep has clearly said that's a position he's going to play. He can do that job for us. So I think he is that prime option and he's definitely got to kind of he has proved that actually over the past two games um whether it can be a long-term thing a sort of doubt I always feel a bit for him because he's so young and he's very low profile and when he came he reminded me in a way of Sane and we all know how good he was when he arrived and I didn't want that expectation on him it did take him his time to kind of settle in and get going but now he's very much proving that he can be one of the main players in the team and he can be vital to what we're doing. So I think he's definitely capable, whether or not it's a long-term option. I do, yeah, again, I doubt. Yeah, would you, would you have felt a bit better if, if they had gone out and got that striker this this summer? Yeah, absolutely. That was the main, that was the area they needed to strengthen him. We all knew that getting rid of Sergio in order to do that was a big decision to make that a lot of people weren't really happy with or you know had their had their doubts had their questions over so the fact that we haven't done that raises questions yeah Dan you you mentioned a little bit unlucky in the Norwich game for Torres um uh, there is the element that he's 21 he's likely to still blow hot and cold especially in a in a Guardiola team like like a Guardiola team playing in a Guardiola team is not like playing in any other football team is it no, not really. No, I mean, he's had his bedding in season now. And like you say, he's still really young. So it's probably going to be maybe a little while before we really see him hit his, his, his stride as a, as, a, as a player, really. You know, hit his form, hit, hit, his, hit his peak. Um, maybe that's not going to come this season, but I would expect him to, to sort of come on leaps and bounds. I think Guardiola's working really well with him. I think uh, I read something that Sam Lee wrote that um, Sergio Aguero was giving him some tips on his movement uh, last season as well, so that's not a bad person to learn from, is it? So, yeah, I think we're, the, the the good thing about City is I think there's, there's five or six players who could potentially play as that kind of false nine striker role. Is Torres, Foden, Sterling, Mares, maybe Grealish, even possibly De Bruyne and Gundogan. Um, you know, Jesus is looking good on the wing at the moment, but I wouldn't be surprised if we we saw him back in the middle at some point too. Um, we might not have a prolific 30-goal-a-season striker, but I think it remains to be seen how much we'll actually need one. And I would argue we probably have more attacking options than anyone in, in the league, and I'm confident that Pep will come up with a plan again like he did last season. Um, that means we're still a really, really dangerous team, and I don't think there's too much pressure on any of those players. So hopefully someone like Torres can thrive under that lack of pressure, really. 
Yeah, Anya, um, Dan mentioned Jesus there. Um, he's been playing on the on the right so far. It's been a, a fairly new role for him, but he's been shining, hasn't he? There? Yeah, it's like a new lease of life for him. Um, and I always remember him, his performance against Real Madrid in the Champions League. I remember thinking when when I watched that, I was like, "Who is this player? Like, I've never seen Gabby play like this before." <laughs> it was really, I was really like excited, so thrilled for him. And then we never really got to see it again until now. And I think a lot of people ask the question, "Does he do a job better out on the wing? Could we potentially see that?" And now we have. You know, he he runs and he runs and he just gets into gets out wide where he he's never really had that chance to do before. I think under the pressure of in that forward position so he's here and he's doing it and it's it looks really good for him and I hope he finds confidence in that I think that's a been a thing with Gabby where he's maybe a bit of a confidence player and he can have games where he'll score you know a brace or whatever and he has a week or two after that where he looks really good and then it kind of tails off again so hopefully this momentum will really help him to keep going and scoring and assisting as he has been doing. Yeah, do you think the the pressure? I mean, the pressure's got to him in the past, doesn't it, Dan? It's it, you, you see sometimes when he misses a chance, how much he just beats himself up about missing the chance. The, the, less pressure on the wing. Do you think that that might be why we're seeing a, a bit of a, of an improvement from him? And I mean, also the if City don't have that centre forward, perhaps he could just share the role with Torres for a bit, and and you know when one yeah. needs to come out, the other one can go in, sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a funny kind of way, I, I think it will. But I, I, he's always been a pretty good finisher. Um, his record's quite good. At 83 goals in 198 games isn't bad at all, really, uh, for someone who's been in and, out, in and out of the team. And I can imagine, a bit like I said with Torres, r- removing that kind of goal-scoring burden from him might actually help him flourish and chip in with even more goals than he already already has in a weird kind of way. I mean, yeah, I think he's been really impressive. He's There were times against Norwich as well when he, he was cropping up on the left and that kind of fluid forward line was really good for City last season and, and it could be again this season and I've been uh, quite surprised by his, his crossing ability as well actually you know uh, crosses and, and Jesus don't go historically well together do they so God, that's, <laughs> that's, such, to see. that's such a well-worn joke and you still managed to crowbar it in you know it's, he's you been, he's, he's been at the club what nearly five years now and you're still we're still doing that one joke are we? Right, and okay. it's still funny so yeah, well yeah. okay we'll, we'll let the listeners be the judge of that shall we um, while we're talking about Ferran Torres uh, you could win a Ferran Torres signed and framed boot courtesy of our sponsor Football Prizes that's this week's competition and it couldn't be better timed given the week he's had uh, if you'd like to be in the draw entries are £4.95 each and there are only 99 entries available for the draw so it's a little bit like an online raffle you'll get 10% off your entry price with the code BLUEMOON10 that's B-L-U-E-M-O-O-N-10 just go to footballprizes.co.uk and search for the Ferran Torres boot competition for more information 10% of the money raised from the entries will also go to City in the community the draw will be made live on the Football Prizes Facebook page and the competition ends at 7.30pm on Monday the 6th of September and we've got a free ticket into the draw as well to give away to Blue Moon Podcast listeners. For the chance to win that, simply email us, bluemoonpodcast at gmail.com with your name and your contact phone number. If you're the winner of the free ticket, we'll let you know before the draw is made so you can keep an eye out for that. But if you want to be sure of being in the draw, use the code BLUEMOON10 for a 10% discount on your entry at footballprizes.co.uk. Now, um, one of the other aspects of uh, of the the summer annual was the uh, we're, we're going to come on to the transfer window a bit later on. Um, but it was talked that uh, Bernardo Silva, Laporte, uh, Jesus, all likely to all, all looking to move away this summer. Uh, none of them have. They've all been pretty heavily involved in the in the three games so far, uh, and they've all done pretty well. What, what what's your feelings on on how this has gone so far now? 
My first thought would be that if players want to leave naturally, you would kind of want them to go because if you don't want to, if the, if there's even the inkling that you don't want to be there, they aren't going to give 110% as other players might or they might, again, I think we're going to mention this, they might kick up a bit of a fuss. We've seen that even Laporte last season when Stones rightfully earned his place next to Diaz, there was a bit of a bit of problems there and the talk kind of started that Laporte hinted he might want to leave in summer. I think the case that none of the main three, you know, Jesus, Bernardo, Laporte, did end up leaving. I wonder if that is to do with whether no one, no other club really wanted them or there just wasn't the kind of push there from the players themselves to leave. So it's going to be interesting. I think it'll be vital in the way that injury-wise to have Laporte as, you know, the backup, the so-called backup is going to be invaluable. As good as, you know, I think um, Ake can do a job, he'll probably, he's not ideally the one you want there if there is an injury for months on end to either Diaz or Stones. So in that sense, I think injury-wise, those three are vital and Gabby's already proved that he's a starter at the moment. So for them not to leave is, is quite good. Yeah, I mean it's it's a, it's weird because I I take these three down as as almost like different points on the same sliding scale of unhappiness, if you know what I mean. Bernardo mm-hmm. seems to be the sort of person where if he's unhappy, he might say so to management, but he'll still give a hundred percent on the pitch, and you won't be able to tell from the outside. Laporte, you get the impression he might be the quickest to kick up a fuss when he's not in the team and you know chuck his toys out the pram, want to leave uh, sort of thing, and you you kind of get that feeling. Jesus seems to be somewhere in the middle, like quietly, not very happy about how things are going, but will run and run and run when he's on the pitch, but maybe give an interview or or post an Instagram story that doesn't quite you know say that everything's <laughs> all right. Um, did you expect one of them to leave? I mean, Bernardo was crying as he went off the pitch against uh, yeah. against Arsenal as if that was his last game, and then nothing happened. Yeah, I, I expected all three of them to leave at one point, I think, and maybe one or two others. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what Anya said there about uh, Laporte. And I'm also glad Bernardo stayed. I, I tweeted a little while ago, before we'd even got Grealish, actually, that I wouldn't be too upset if he'd left because I think out of the four seasons he's been here, he's had one exceptional season, two pretty good ones and one really bad one. And he's just a little inconsistent for my liking sometimes. I, I, I thought that if him leaving meant we'd get Grealish, it, it would kind of be a good deal for everyone. And a few people disagreed with me on that at the time. And after the way he started the season, I'm, I'm happy to admit I was probably wrong about that he's like the glue that connects everything together on the pitch and um, Man City Tactics did a great thread on Twitter the other day demonstrating how important Bernardo's runs are to the build-up play and sometimes how he's doing some of his best work even without the ball so I'm a bit sorry for him that he didn't get his move to sunny Spain um, and I I hope that he he gets his head down and gets gets on with the job now as I'm sure he will Uh, but on a selfish level I'm really glad he's staying now and and we got Grealish as well so happy days. I don't know why anybody would want to go to sunny Spain. I've got the heating on already. It's always September. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just while we're while we're talking about uh, Laporte, and yeah, the second goal. Any controversy with that for you? There seemed to be uh, Arteta wasn't very happy with Laporte on Chambers in the build up to it. I mean, yeah, there's clearly something there, but my my way of looking at it is that it, it, it doesn't matter either way if there was because even if it was one nil, two nil, City was still going to batter them. I didn't see Arsenal managing to score against us whatsoever so no matter the score and whether that would have changed the game how you, however you want to see it I don't I don't think it was that the main problem for Arsenal at that point in time 
Yeah, the funny thing, Dan, was the the post match interview where Arteta basically said we were controlling the game, and then City scored. But City's first goal was on <laughs> six minutes, so it's like, okay, you've you've controlled the first six minutes, well done. And then the second point, yeah. like, like Anya says, there, like like Arsenal didn't manage a shot on target throughout the ninety minutes, so like that that that's a bigger issue, surely, than the than the build up to the second goal. Yeah, they were abysmal. We would have beaten them anyway. And I mean, I can see why they had a complaint about that Laporte one, especially because uh, I think Kolasinac got booked for doing something similar a little bit later in the first half. But I've also seen people calling it a punch. And all I can say is God help those people if they ever get punched because they're (laughs) going to be in a bit of trouble, aren't they? You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. While we're while we're talking about uh, City's build-up as well, um, Dan, I just want to ask you about uh, City's. The, the weird thing that struck me with this game, with the way that that City were passing through the lines. Again, this is this is me not being able to to, to kind of work out if it was just Arsenal giving them too much space, or if City were finding the space and and, and doing well to to kind of pass through. Um, because as Gundogan's been coming back into fitness, it really looks like he's been picking up from from where he left off last season, doesn't it? Yeah, I've heard a few people saying recently that City play better without De Bruyne, and I don't agree with that necessarily, but I do wonder if there's something in that Gundogan-Bernardo partnership that's actually so good that it almost harms us a bit when we, when we break it up. And, and Gundogan really won me over with his goals last season. I was I was a bit of a sceptic of, of his uh, prior to last season, but and I, do, I do think he, he thrives in that more advanced role. And, and like, like I mentioned earlier, I think he'd actually be a pretty good candidate for the false nine role because he, he's got a real knack for scoring goals if you let him go into the box and, you know, please, for, for the love of God, let's never play him in that number six position unless we absolutely have to ever again because that was a disaster in the Champions League final, wasn't it? Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how we line up when Foden and De Bruyne are back, actually. Will Foden play left wing and, and then De Bruyne and Grealish play as the two number eights, as, as has been suggested? You know, we've got an unbelievable amount of options, which is it's one of the reasons I can't really get on board with all the, all the panic on Twitter about the lack of new signings because I think we've, we've just got a great squad and I'm interested to see what Guardiola uh, makes of it, really. Yeah, Anya, Dan says he doesn't want Gundogan in the number six. Uh, Rodri's into his third season now in that that kind of holding role. Um, how do you think he's doing? Because he, he, he took a long time to settle in. And I'll be honest, I, I admitted last season to, uh, it was after the Leeds game at Elland Road last season, I was, uh, I, I was kind of banging the drum of, I will not be upset if Rodri doesn't pull on a City shirt again. But <laughs> I, I was very much wrong about that. He seems to be doing all right, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, to Phil Fernandinho's footsteps does that make sense shoes that's the word I'm looking for shoes (laughs) to fill Fernandinho's shoes is a task that I don't think any player is going to be able to do so I think a lot of the criticism for Rodri has been not unwarranted at times but very harsh um I think there's the point of him I mean whenever I think of Rodri all I think of like the nickname some people have given to him Rodri's on top because he only passes like sideways and, and back <laughs> behind it. Never heard so, that one actually. No, I've That's never heard that one either. <laughs> Yeah, heard, I, quite, I do quite like it. Yeah, I've heard, um, I've heard, I have, I, the, the the one that does the rounds most on Twitter, I think, is Plodry. Um, but one of our one, yeah. one of my friends came up with HMS Rodri, which I thought was quite cutting and, yeah. and, and brutal. But yeah, no, I take your point. <laughs> yeah, he um, 
Yeah, it's, I think, it, like I say, it's been it's tough to follow Fernandinho, but I think he's he's getting back into it again. I mean, his first season, I, I was really pleased with him for maybe the first six months. Um, and then again, he kind of fell off a little bit in a way that was disappointing. And he's not particularly done anything wonderful, but I don't think he needs to in that role. Of course, you'd like him to, but I don't think, again, you can criticise him too much for any of what he is doing. Yeah, I mean, even even Edison, Dan, was getting in on the through balls act. There was one uh, to Torres in the first half that was fantastic. Um, there, there was a couple where, I mean, there was one point in the first half where he just held the ball. For, it must have been for close to a minute. <laughs> yeah. And Arsenal just didn't didn't really know what, whether to close him or try and cut off the passing opportunities. And he was just like, no, I'll just I'll just keep it till something opens up. He, there was there, there was an unearthing, unerring sense of calm from him to a point where he almost it almost cost him. Yeah. Yeah, that moment was with Smith Rowe closed him down and it almost yeah. went in and he just he just acted like that was exactly what he meant to do anyway. He just played it perfectly <laughs> off him so it'd go out for a goal kick. Yeah, I think he was helped somewhat by Arsenal's inability to press cohesively and but yeah, his ability with with the ball at his feet is it's a lethal weapon. I think it gets taken for granted a little bit sometimes, I think, because nothing phases him. He's cool as a cucumber, isn't he? I always think there was that uh thing going around on Twitter last year where some girl did like a TikTok video where she was uh saying that she'd served him at John Lewis in Manchester or something. He was buying some furniture or something. And while, while he was waiting for the furniture to be like delivered to his car, he just lay down on the floor. <laughs> and that, that sort of sums up Edison, doesn't it? He's just like, he's a bit of a weirdo actually, but in, in a kind of cool, calm and collected way. Yeah, I always, the, the one that, uh, there's a tweet from Sam Lee that always that comes back into my mind where City, I can't remember what the game was, uh, but it was a couple of years ago, must have been in that 18-19 run-in with Liverpool, uh, where City had a, it might have been like Burnley, you know, where the, where they where they just got over the line and Aguero only just scored, um, where Sam tweeted uh, something like, um, it, that was a really tense game, but not tense enough for Edison, who's now off to have some motorbikes ride around his head. It just, <laughs> yeah. like, it, it just, it just sums him up, yeah. yeah. Um, another good thing as well, and a new contract for Edison, so he's, he's not going anywhere anytime soon, along with uh, Ruben Diaz. Yeah, wonderful. Like the signing, uh, the extension of the contracts for Stones, Diaz and Edison is just ideal. To have those three locked down is, is really good for us. Um, and I think we struggled for, well, for the past few seasons with that defensive stability. So to know that we've got those three is, is great. Yeah. Just hope there's no uh, no release clauses in there because uh, we've seen what happens when yeah. you sign a six-year deal and don't have a release clause in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Going to finish, Dan, with uh, with Raheem Sterling because... He he was off form for a good a good portion of last season. Um, he then comes into the Euros. I I I was saying to friends that I didn't think he, sh- he deserved to start in the uh, in the Euros yeah. for England, uh, given how he how he finished the season with City. Um, he he did pretty well in the Euros for England. He's out of the team though again at City now. He's got to earn his place back. Um, what what do you make of his position right now? Well. It- uh, you say the way he finished the season. He finished the season by starting in the Champions League final, which is still a bit bizarre to me, considering how much he'd, he'd fallen out of favour last season. And uh, you know, he started last season really well, then lost his place. There was a rumour that he'd fallen out with Pep, and he wanted to leave this summer. And I, th- I thought it was interesting actually that he got the captain's armband one when Gundogan went off against Norwich. I think it still shows that he has a high status in the team and is still highly regarded by Pep. Um, I'm not too worried about Sterling. I'm excited to see the result of all these attacking players we've got pushing each other for a place in the team. I think he's always going to be um, chipping in with goals. Um, I think he's a a great candidate for that false nine position. Um, Yeah, I just hope he's motivated to win his place back and and not become a bit disillusioned with his place at the club at this point. 
Yeah, are you a bit worried about his finishing though, aren't you? Because there was a couple of chances in that, that Arsenal game. Okay, the header was a difficult one, but the one-on-one he, he possibly should do a bit better with. Yeah, I think Sterling's always been, I've always seen, in, seen him in this way, um, that he can be so inconsistent and then have some games where he's really, really brilliant and, you know, the Raheem Sterling that we all kind of know. Um, like we were talking about the the off season and then how good he was during the Euros. I do wonder if it is a, a sort of him and Pep thing. I don't know what that dynamic is kind of like because when we had Mikel Arteta, he had, you know, obviously he was only there for half the season where Sterling had his best ever goal scoring season. Was it like 31, 32 goals, something like that? Yeah. And for him to get back to those heights would be brilliant. But I'm not quite sure how he gets there. And again, it, it, it's a case of his finishing. He gets the chances and he does get into those areas. It's that final little bit that he just seems to kind of lack in. Yeah. Dan, there's there's talk of a new contract being worked on for him as well. Um, I mean, even even with the criticism that's come with him over the last kind of six months or so, you must still be keen to get that done because I, I still look at, at, at City as a better team with an on-form Raheem Sterling in it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, he's got two years left to run on his contract, which is is not a long time, really. And you don't want to end up losing a play like that for free, or even getting into a situation where we enter into the last year of his contract and he's he's potentially, you know, talking to other clubs and that kind of thing. So I, I hope they do get him get him signed up, um, and I hope that will mean that he'll he'll be committed to the club. I'm not saying that he's not committed to the club, but it'd be a nice show of support from both parties, if you know what I mean, that City will be saying, look, we, we love you, we want you to stay. And he'll be saying, well, I'm happy to stay as well. So yeah, um, yeah hopefully they can they can get that done and and, uh, and move on and he starts scoring goals again. Yeah, represents himself, you know. Um, doesn't have uh, doesn't have an agent anymore, so that's uh, that's that's part that's partly why it's taking so long as well because he's because uh, yeah. he's always so busy with the football. Who uh, who knew <laughs> who knew footballers? I uh, didn't have spare time. That's 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 a that's a new one on me. Uh, right. Uh, well, by the eighty fourth minute of uh, Saturday's victory over Arsenal, City had scored their tenth Premier League home goal of the season. Fifteen years ago, the team were beginning a campaign where they would only score ten times at home in the league in total. I've been taking a look at the six home games that City played in two thousand and six where they actually found the net. It started with a penalty. Up goes Joey Barton and off the underside of the bar. Hammers in Manchester City's opening goal of their Premiership campaign. It's taken 40 minutes into their third match and it's come when they've been under the cosh at the other end. That was City's second home game of the season and their first goal. It was a surprise win over Arsenal after a dour 0-0 draw with Portsmouth three days earlier. It had got even better a month later too when West Ham came to Eastlands. Here's Miller. It's a fantastic run this by Ishmael Miller. It's a never-ending run by Miller. It's Miller. Daly makes the block. And Manchester City have the lead. A thumping hit from Georgia Samaras. Here's Samaras. He's onside. And he's got his second goal. Gloriously taken by Georgia Samaras. By the end of September, City had played three times at home and scored three goals. But the average began to fall as goalless draws with Sheffield United and Newcastle occurred either side of a 1 0 win over Middlesbrough. City corner. Oh, Spurs got it high! 
That goal by Richard Dunn was the only header that City scored at home in the league that season. Next up in mid-November it was Fulham and it was a memorable day. Senior's got to get to that ball and he's not going to. They've got an extra man over here as well. It's Barton completely unmarked. What a soft goal for Fulham to concede. Not only was that City's biggest home win of the season, but striker Bernardo Carradi scored two of his three Premier League goals that day. He then used the corner flag to knight Joey Barton in celebration. A Monday night ball fest with Watford followed that, as City drew 0-0 for the fourth time at home in just eight games. That was before the visit of Spurs. This was the only home goal that City scored that season in defeat. Dickoff looking to find the cross, it's a great delivery! And it's battered in by Barton, and City have a lifeline! After a 2-0 loss to Bolton at the City of Manchester Stadium, City then scored their final home goals of the season on New Year's Day 2007, as Everton were the unlucky visitors. Samaras might go on his own here. Samaras holds off one challenge. Wanted in play through to Marcus Beasley. He's got pace. Can he get there? Does so. Good ball in. 1-0. And Giorgio Samaras has the goal. But he's got a lot to be thankful to Demarcus Beasley for. Samaras to make it two goals to nil. Samaras hits Howard. Samaras scores. City lead two goals to nil. Eight more matches were played at home, including two more nil-nil draws, but no more goals were scored, despite penalties being awarded on two occasions as well. The ten goals at home that year were scored by only four different players. Six of the goals were by strikers, four of them were Giorgio Samaras. Two of them were penalties, half were in the first half and seven of the ten were at the south stand end of the ground. By the end of the campaign, City averaged one goal every 171 minutes in the Premier League at home. While this season's rates will slow down over the coming weeks, they're currently about ten times faster. Hello, my name is Gerard Beacons, a former player of Manchester City, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. I look there at the 2006-07 season. Dan, that was... Um, I, I'm, I'm conscious that, the, that we have listeners that don't really remember this season anymore. Um, but I'm, I'm morbidly obsessed with that season. I can't explain <laughs> why. <laughs> Yeah, well, I still don't remember it good for them because it was horrific, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, what, 10 goals at home after, uh, in the whole season, no goals at home after uh, New Year's Day, wasn't it? Yeah. I always think that I was, I was at university in Liverpool that year and I didn't have a season ticket. I was pretty, I was just sort of paying in on the day for, for all of those games. I went to most of the home games in the second half of the season and didn't see a goal the whole time. It's just unthinkable now, isn't it? How yeah. bad things got. The away record was really good though, weirdly enough, but, uh, and that, that was what kept in, in the league ultimately, but yeah, horrific. Yeah. I, uh, I was at, you know, that was my first year at uni and I was traveling back for, for the games, but the, there was a couple of Monday night games that I missed. So I missed the Middlesbrough game, uh, where they won one nil. Um, and I, I think I missed the Fulham game as well, where they won three, one. Uh, so mm. I had like 40%. 
of the home goals that season I missed in just my, by missing <laughs> two games. That's that's how bad it got. Anya, please tell me that you're young enough to not have to not have to have suffered that year. Certainly, like I absolutely cannot remember that I'll have been six <laughs> at the time. So I can't really remember anything from before I was ten. So I'm very much a fan who has just seen, you know, the success. So I'm very glad that I don't have to relive those memories yeah you don't you don't know how lucky you are honestly it was character building though i'll say that about (laughs) it Uh, quite tax day is coming oh no but if you sign up for robin hood gold's ira with a three percent match you can get up to 195 dollars for the 2023 tax year oh yeah sign up at robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market subscription fees apply Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Now, the transfer window's closed and uh, there's been no significant outgoings and one significant incoming this summer with Jack Grealish signed from Aston Villa for £100 Oh, and Scott Carlson joined from Derby as well on a free transfer. Um, The big headline was the lack of a striker, especially after the chairman, Khaldun Al-Mubarak, said this in his City TV interview at the end of last season. We lose a very important legend in Sergio Aguero. You know, very hard shoes to fill, uh, but I'm confident that we we will find the right player to fill those shoes. There are other areas within the group, uh, within the team that obviously need investment. Not, not too many. It's not about numbers. It's about the quality. We will bring quality into the squad in, in, in a couple of key positions. Now, Anya, it, it, it's undoubted that they brought in quality with Jack Grealish. Um, but but Caldeum did say there in a couple of key positions um, and that they would replace Aguero and they didn't do either. So I, I, do you feel that City have, have maybe missed an opportunity in this transfer window? Yeah, very much so. We just won the Premier League again and there was the talk of this £250 million war chest and we we were given promises, especially after the Champions League final, that those areas were going to be improved in to go into this season. That hasn't happened and it's happened in quite a naive and obviously, I mean, I'm in no position to kind of criticise the board for, for their transfer decisions, but like it feels very naive and embarrassing the way that it happened to get finessed by like Charlie Kane and Daniel Levy. is just <laughs> n- like embarrassing. Yeah. So yeah, we've been left without a striker. That is everyone's main complaint. And I think it's a, it's a warranted one. Absolutely. And then again, we are kind of without a natural left back now. While Zinchenko can do that role really well, and he would have been probably first choice anyway. It's an area again where if we have an injury crisis or something along those lines, we are going to be very short. So to have not strengthened in those areas, especially while our rivals, you know, Chelsea, Manchester United have, well, to, according to their fans, I pretty much done bits in the window. It's, it's not great. It's not ideal. Yeah. Uh, Dan, the, the other side of this is they spent a long time with, 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 with the bid on Harry Kane. Um, did they spend too long when, it, when the, the, the situation might just simply have been, it cannot happen this summer? Daniel Levy will not accept any bid this summer. In, in a way, I understand why they kind of gambled on Kane. I mean, I, I've made my, my thoughts on a, our plethora of, of attacking options pretty clear already. And I, I can definitely see why Kane was targeted. I think he, he, he has all the attributes to be a, a great player in this team for us. He, he would have scored a lot of goals. I think to say we needed him is, is a bit too strong of a word. And, and for me personally, I, I feel more excited about the season ahead than if we'd 
gone and dropped 150 million on Gary Goals. You know, I, I think there's something about spending <laughs> that amount of money on one player. It just never felt right to me. And it also felt to me that, that Kane didn't really want to come to City per se. He just wanted to go anywhere. He had a good chance of winning trophies. I was never really on board with that transfer. I, I think City are going to be a far more interesting team without Kane this season, to be honest. Um, that said, I, I do understand why people are disappointed that a direct replacement for Aguero wasn't signed, especially after Caldoud essentially promised that we would get someone and I can't really understand why they didn't have a plan B. It seems like, like as I said, they gambled on Kane coming and never really wanted anyone else. But I would have been perfectly happy with someone like Danny Ings, who, who doesn't have the best fitness record, but is a really good player and has shown that for Villa already. He can score goals. And I don't think we needed to break the British transfer record again to, to sign someone who could just put the ball in the onion bag on a regular basis. And it's been a pretty confusing summer for me for that reason. But I'm not too upset about us missing out on Harry Kane. How about missing out on Gary Goals, though? He sounds like a good player. He's available. He's still available on a free transfer. <laughs> Get him in. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what Wilfred he can do. Bonnie's still out there as well. I'll just say oh, that. Don't, don't don't start. Don't start. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the other side of this, Anya, Grealish has settled in quite well. Um, uh, there is the argument that they didn't need to chase after someone like him, given the given the attacking players they've got in his position already. Where what what do you make of that? Because because ultimately his performances in the first three games have been pretty damn good. Yeah, as much as I wanted him, and I I really wanted to sign him actually last season when it looked like Aston Villa were going to be relegated. Obviously, that didn't happen. He stayed with them. As much as I wanted him, I did have qualms over whether he would fit into this team and we have we already have such great competition in those attacking areas and specifically when Phil Foden comes back it's going to be interesting who plays in that role who starts that role but he's proved that he's actually really good we know he likes to dribble with the ball dribble into the box which we don't typically see from pep teams you know it's pass 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 so he's really proved that actually he fits in quite well I mean in the Arsenal game I think he made the highest number created the highest number of chances, six chances. Um, so I've got no complaints about him so far whatsoever. And he's a, he's a joy to watch, really. He is such a great player. Yeah, Dan, the, there is the argument also that uh, as much as I asked Dania if City had messed up by not bringing a striker in at the start of the window, have they messed up by not allowing a player to, to leave from the, the front end? Are they, are they a bit too top-heavy now? Maybe, yeah. But I mean, it only takes a, a few injuries and, and suddenly we're, we're down to the bare bones, as Harry Redknapp would say, and, and you, you're sort of scrabbling around for options. So, I mean, I think I think the likes of uh, Laporte and Bernardo Silva and, and Gabriel Jesus, they, they would have been open to letting those players leave if a, if an offer had come in for them. I think the club have been pretty uh, good about that kind of thing. They seem pretty chilled about that, that if, if you know, you can bring us an offer from your agent that, that, that suits us, then, then we'll let you go. And it just never came. And, and I find it baffling that, you know, if, if clubs know that players like Bernardo and, and Laporte are on, on the transfer market, why they wouldn't be queuing up to sign players of that quality. And I think their losses are gain. And um, yeah, like I say, if if uh, we go forward with the options that we've got, there's going to be plenty of options for chopping and changing. And I think we're in a really good position. Is Just, it? I mean, obviously, we're, we're lacking that focal point of the attack, but it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about that because does it change if City hadn't just won the last two games 5-0? Are we talking about this like this <laughs> yeah. because they've just scored 10 goals in two games? Probably, yeah. It's too, it's too early to say, I think, whether we've messed up or not. If you know, we end up having not won the league this season, which is a possibility even if we signed someone like Harry Kane, by the way. you know, A lot of people were, were acting like that automatically would have guaranteed the title. I think we could look back at, at the end of the season with a bit of regret if we don't win anything, but 
equally, we could go on and have a really good season again and say, what do we need Harry Kane for? So uh, ask me again in a, in a few months, I guess. Yeah, we'll find out about Gary Goals as well then as well. Um, uh, <laughs> Give him a ring. Yeah, I'll see what he's up to. Uh, you've both been blogging this week uh, about supporting City, both sparked by uh, the links to the player that we've not mentioned yet, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, he's undoubtedly a great player. I'm fairly sure he would have scored goals in this City team. Uh, but off the pitch, there are allegations of rape against him that make many people feel uncomfortable. To be clear, uh, Ronaldo denies the allegations and says that a football leaks document reported to have been seen by Der Spiegel that uh, suggests his guilt is fabricated. Um, I mean, when you look back at this whole thing now, Anya, what what are your feelings now that the that now that the dust has settled, the window's shut, he's not coming to City, he's moving to United. How how do you feel now? I think first of all, he's at Manchester United. He's still in the Premier League it's not a problem that is like cut and dry and I can just turn my back on. He's still going to be someone that, you know, when we have the Manchester derby, I'm probably going to have to watch it, which, but I'm obviously I don't have to. I would like to watch my team play in the Manchester derby, but that's something that's in the back of your mind. And I have spoken to, you know, a number of United fans who are facing the same problem that I felt that I had if he would have signed for City. Um, you know, it's the exact same position and they they feel betrayed by their club so it's not something that it can you can just like allow to go away as much as I would love to forget about it it's still a a pertinent issue that that's happened and is you know continuous for the next two years yeah I mean is this is this ultimately boils down to attitudes towards women in the game does it yeah I think we all know that in in every walk of life women are pretty pretty disrespected and you know men have the upper hand I think that's and you know especially in football that's clearly a problem I, I mean I write in my blog there's a line where I say that if if more women were in executive roles this transfer wouldn't have happened and that was maybe the one thing that I was quite I was questioning putting in and it's a it's one of the things that quite a lot of people had to say something about and I do agree with them that I can imagine a board where you know there's a woman on the board I don't know what city's board is like I don't know if it's if it's equal I imagine it's men heavy um I can imagine a you know a transfer where there was a woman and she she wanted it to happen she would let it happen because it is in some cases an intelligent business decision or it would have solved our, our striker problem but I would also like to think where in a world where a board might be full of women in the same way that is full of men for most Premier League clubs. At least one person would have raised the issue and then maybe settled doubt in some people's minds or made people look at it with a different perspective. So I think having women in executive roles at, at every level is is something really important and hopefully will happen and change in the near future. I think there's, especially with a lot of other issues over the past year, you know, Black Lives Matter, things like that, there's been a lot of campaigns and things from leading media outlets like Sky Sports from from the Premier League themselves, where one of the slogans that stands out to me is like, this is everyone's game. It's all well and good doing campaigns like that and making gestures. But when you see Sky Sports the other day hiding replies on on one of their tweets celebrating Ronaldo, I think it was Jamie Carragher, um, saying what a great what a great person he was, or maybe it was Gary Neville. Both of them, I imagine. When it's been hidden like that, it's it's quite scary the way that it's it's just willing to be brushed over and swept under the rug. So I'd like to think 
in the future, obviously these things take a lot of time, that things would change with the introduction of more women in the game. But when things like this happen, it it, it puts me off from wanting yeah. to watch football and be involved in football. Yeah, I mean, Dan, you kind of came at, at this issue from a similar sort of viewpoint. But your, I mean, your blog was about the disconnect between, uh, I guess, yourself, the club, and and kind of how younger fans are feeling. It, it was almost that attitude of win at all costs, was it? Yeah, it was a combination of a few thoughts I've had in my head for a while, really. I think, like like a lot of people, I'm still a bit scarred by the the Super League debacle, and I, I lost an awful lot of trust in the people in charge at City when that happened. It was a bit of a wake up call, and I, I kind of realised how unimportant we, the fans, are to these institutions in the grand scheme of things. Even though we are, in fact, the life and soul of the club, and I found that quite traumatic that they would make this massive decision without even consulting us first, because I'd always yeah, perhaps naively thought that the club belonged to us and it, it was a shock to realise that that definitely is not the case anymore. I think a bit of that trauma came back when it looked like they were signing Ronaldo last week and I know that wasn't as universally unpopular as the Super League among the fan base, but it still felt like the club were just going ahead and signing this player who many of us didn't want for footballing and personal reasons and I just kind of felt like I, I don't really recognise the city that I grew up that I grew up supporting anymore. Um and then it was there was the, it was the reaction of, of some fans on Twitter to the Ronaldo deal falling through that kind of tipped me over the edge. Um, maybe I just need to spend less time on Twitter. I don't know, but I, I saw people saying stuff like City have no ambition to be a global mega club, and I'm like, well, well, so what? Isn't that a good thing that we maintain this sense of identity and don't just lean fully into being everything we hated about United back in the day, including signing Cristiano Ronaldo, who I hated back then and, and frankly still hate now. Um, I, I know that City have already globalized quite significantly i'm under no illusions about that and and i should say that i i have no problem at all with with people from outside manchester becoming fans of the club in recent years because i i genuinely do welcome anyone who wants to support city and i would i would just ask that people respect our history and traditions and don't start throwing the toys out the pram because we miss out on signing someone like ronaldo i mean i've enjoyed the success as much as anyone over the last decade or so but for me it, it was never about becoming a global mega club it was always about maintaining a sense of this sort of silliness that comes they, with, with being a city fan i think are they not a global mega club already though given that i mean you, you look at the last decade in terms of trophies won like nobody else in england comes close well, they're at the level that I would, that I am perfectly happy for them to be, and I don't really want them to, to go any higher. I want City to be um, competitive every season. I want to go into a season feeling like we've got a good chance of winning the league, we've got a good team, we've got a good manager, but not that we're guaranteed to win stuff. And a lot of people now seem to be panicking that because we haven't signed Kane or Ronaldo, we, you know, we might not win the league, we might not win the Champions League this season. And, and again, I would say, so what? Like, it's it's not the end of the world if we don't win the league every year. You need to remember that it, it's 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 your failures that make, that make your triumphs so. Special in sport, it, you know, it'd be it'd be so boring if we won every game or every title because that that to me is not what competition is supposed to be about. And I, I would suggest that if your love for City is conditional on the winning trophies and you know spending 150 million on players, you probably don't love them in the way that you should, in my opinion. Yeah. Blue Moon Podcast listeners can get themselves a free case of eight craft beers from Beer 52, perfect for the beginning of the season and for those matches that you're not able to get to, whether it's Leicester away or Southampton at home after the international break. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club and has over 170,000 active members. Each month, members are sent a case with a different theme. In the case, you'll also get snacks and a special magazine. If you don't like dark beer, there's a light option as well. And don't forget, you can pause or cancel 
at any time. Just go to beer52.com forward slash blue and pay the postage of £5.95 and you'll get yourself a free case of eight craft beers. That's beer52.com forward slash blue, B-L-U-E, for a case of eight craft beers, only for the cost of your postage. On last week's show, we heard the first part of our interview with Terry Phelan. It's time to pick up where we left off, as the former City left-back tells me more about his time at Main Road, beginning with how much off-the-pitch problems affected the team during the turmoil in the mid-1990s. You always try to put it to the back of your mind, because when you're in the dressing room, you try to concentrate on training and going out and playing in front of 45, 50,000 a week in and week out and, and like I said playing a brand of football what the fans enjoy and the players we've got there and you know I think the fans was let down to tell you the truth uh, and then you know uh, different uh, oppositions coming in to take over it does disrupt the, the, the family it really does and it was sad to see that because you don't want to be in the papers on the back pages of the sports papers week in and week out for the wrong things you know uh, and it was too much of it, you know, we've seen it through the years and it was too much of it. And I thought, you know, uh, and that's why people like myself, Keith Curl, uh, went to Man City, you know, for a fresh start to, you know, to try and push the club forward. But I think when you've got uh, stuff going up in the boardroom, you can't get involved in it, but it, 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 it doesn't sit well, you know. But at the end of the day, you're a professional, you've got to, you've got to get on with it, you've got to get out there and get on with it. But it, it didn't sit well with a, a lot of the players, to tell you the truth. Did a, did on a, on any level did the change from from Peter Swales to Francis Lee as chairman did that affect anything kind of on on the playing side of things at all? I think it did immensely. I think to tell you the truth, no disrespect to any of them wonderful gentlemen and you know uh, what they've done, but I think it did. And uh, you know, I think Franny was very very involved with the first team. Uh, you know, to tell you the truth. But that, that's life. And you, like I said, you have to get on. But I don't want to disrespect anybody. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, when you're, when you're a player, you just want to <laughs> try and listen to the manager and, and get on with it. Uh, and that's just my point of view. Uh, but, yeah, it was very disruptive. Yeah. Was Francis Lee ever in the dressing room as, as chairman? Yeah, of course he was. He was in the dressing room most of the times. You know, at, you know he, at, at the end of the day, he was in the dressing room most of the times. I remember him giving me advice, you know, uh, on what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing. And I, I, and I said, that, that, but that's up to the manager. You know, I don't give advice out to anybody else. That's up to the manager. But, you know, that's just my thoughts on it. And, you know, you listen to the manager and you, and you get on with it. Uh, but I think there was too, too much of that. It's all right coming in and saying, uh, all the best lads have a good game. But then when you start, you know, getting into players' ears, then that's a little bit different. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, the other the other big change was that uh, Francis Lee then appointed Alan Ball as manager. Um, this was going into what would be your final season at City. What what was, albeit briefly, what was Alan Ball like to work with? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how anybody else feels, but uh, you know, I got sold from Manchester City, and I, uh, you know, I didn't really want to leave Manchester City. To tell you the truth, it was a real real shock. I don't know why I got sold. I still can't tell you to this to this day why I got sold. I thought I was doing quite well at Man City. Uh, I'm not blowing my own trumpet. You know, I thought I was playing well. Uh, I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do. But, but I don't know. Things just didn't sit well. And uh, for me, when you know, when we all knew what Alan Ball had done previously, the clubs he'd been at, 
you know, winning the World Cup with uh, England. We all knew that. We didn't need to be told that, though. You know, as a player, you didn't need to be told that, uh, especially on the first couple of days, you know. You know, you, you don't need that type of action or that type of uh, wording. You know, you come in, you speak to the lads collectively and individually and, you, you know, you tell them where you want to go and what philosophy, you, again, what you want to try and achieve. Uh, but I just think it was it was a little bit of mismatch. And maybe, you know, punters out there can uh, say otherwise. But, you know, when you're actually in the dressing room and you're on the training field, it becomes a little bit of a, a nuisance. And you want to, you just want to play and enjoy your football. Uh, but when you've got managers coming in and out, it disrupts everything and then your ownership. And, you know, you don't get on with the manager then. We're, we're not all supposed to get on with each other, but... When you don't get on with the manager because you don't know what for, it's uh, psychologically it can it can hamper you. Yeah, I mean, you, you said that you didn't want to to leave. I was going to ask how the move to Chelsea came about, but I'm, I'm guessing it was kind of a a, a case of well, I, you know, I, I'm not going to be playing football here then in this case. Well, it was, it was a case of you're going out the door. Simple as that. You're out. Uh, what for? Uh, you're out. We're selling you. Well, can you give me a reason? No, you're out. We're selling you. I, I was a quiet lad. I didn't. I didn't say a lot in the dressing room. I didn't get in. You know, I just went out and played my football, and it was a real shock to me. And it took me a wee bit of a time to get over, to tell you the truth. Uh, that I mean, I wasn't. I, I, if you're not wanted, what's the point of staying there? You know, and it was. It was a real shame because I put all my hopes and hard work into it. Uh, but if it doesn't happen, you have to move on. And obviously. Chelsea come in at, with Glenn Oddle and said, look, we want to play you in a system of a, you know, a 5-3-2, want you as a wing-back. And it was exciting times there. So, you know, and the players he was bringing in was absolutely brilliant. Uh, and then he left and went to, <laughs> he left and went to uh, manage England. So I don't know if I had the curse on these managers or what it was. I'm not, too, I'm, I'm not really too sure, but I hope not. But listen, if you go on to bigger and better things, then, you know, fair dues to Glenn. We learned an awful lot off him. Wonderful, wonderful chap. And he helped me out uh, tremendously well. You know, helped me settle in. He knew what I'd gone through at Manchester City in probably that, that six, seven or eight months. Uh, so, yeah, he, he was a wonderful chap to, to work for. Yeah. When, when you think back to your years at City now and you, you look at the team that was there and the opportunities that were there as well, especially in the, in the early 90s, um, do, you ever, do you ever feel like it was a missed opportunity for the club? Definitely so, definitely so. And this is this is this is the biggest thing. And this is when your players sit down and go, you know, wow, we're, we're bringing him in, we're bringing this uh, player in, we're bringing that player in, we're bringing international players in. This, like I said earlier on, we want to compete with the top six teams first, and then you want to compete with your neighbours, you know. And and that's what the the blueprint was. That's what the plan was, you know. And. Uh, it was a, a, a great missed opportunity, to tell you the truth, because we did play some good football then. We played some wonderful football, you know. Uh, in that first year with Peter Reid, we played, for me, we played some wonderful football. You know, we finished strongly. We got to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, obviously, but you have to build on that. And the club didn't build on that. They, didn't, they went backwards. They didn't go forwards on that, you know. Get somebody in who can say, all right then, this is what he's left. This is what we want to build on that. Yeah, you have your own ideas and you have your, like again, your own philosophy. And you want to bring one or two players in of your own, but let's build on it. Let's go forward now with it. You know, and, and for the city, I keep mentioning the city punters, 
you know, and I look at the city punters now, and I'm I'm ever so joyed that the the winning the EPL, you know, they just fell short of obviously the the Champions League, but they're up there now with the big guys. They know they can compete with the big guys, and that's what we wanted to do back then. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was Terry Phelan. The full interview with an exclusive extra 10 minutes of discussion is available for Patreon backers right now. Just take a look at patreon.com forward slash bluemoonpodcast. It will also be available in full for free on bluemoonpodcast.com at the end of the season. Um, we're going to finish with, uh, as we usually do, with some listener questions. Get in touch on Twitter at bluemoonpodcast. You can email us as well, bluemoonpodcast.com is the website. Just fill in the form on there and search for Blue Moon Podcast on Instagram. Uh, first up is Johnny the Bakewell Blue on the emails who says, uh, it's an interesting transfer window. I wanted to ask if you all thought it was a good thing that City didn't bring in Kane or Ronaldo. We haven't paid silly money for an injury-prone 28-year-old, even though he is undoubtedly world-class. And I must confess, like David, I'm slightly relieved that we aren't the splurge £150 million club. Does this leave us clear to look at Haaland again next year, as of all the top European clubs, we're the only ones without a premium striker with a big price? tag. Um, and you, what, uh, what, what are your thoughts on this, given that uh, obviously if City had brought in Kane, for instance, it would likely have been £150 million. It would have been £250 million in one summer on two players. Uh, a bit relieved about that? Yeah, I think that's a really positive way to look at it. Um, I don't think we, we've got massive problems now we don't have a striker. And I personally really do like Haaland. So the idea of us being able to go for him next summer... While it's great, I still don't see it happening. I saw something the other day about him costing 500 million over five years or something insane like that. And again, I just don't know if it's worth the price in the set in the same way that Kane probably wasn't worth the price. Yeah, Dan, uh, there is the, the there is the, the slight irony there though, that uh, if City aren't the splurge 150 million club on Kane, they might be spl- uh, splurged the 75 million on Haaland. Is, it, is if that's is, that's his release clause, isn't it next year? I mean, that doesn't seem like much of a splurge in this market, really, does it? It seems like a bit of a bargain, really, for a player of his quality. I mean, yeah, I, I would have no issue with us, us spending a lot of money on someone like him. A bit like I didn't really have any issue with us spending £100 million on Grealish because, you know, Grealish, and, well, Grealish is like 26 now, isn't he? So he's not that young in the grand scheme of things, but Haaland is a bit younger. Um, if his agent keeps his trap shut, we could be nailing down one of the best strikers in the world for many years there. So that would be a really, really sensible use of money. I, I'm a, a huge fan of him as a player. I think he's going to be amazing. For, for years to come um, I still think it's going to be really difficult to sign but but let's hope we're at least in the mix because that, that simply wouldn't have been possible if we signed Kane and uh, we can take our chances next summer now and see what happens and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they went back in for Kane again next summer maybe that might be a transfer that's easier to pull off next summer as well we'll see yeah, I mean, that's the other side of this, Anya, is that uh, something that nobody's really mentioned, I'm guessing because he's he seems nailed on to go to Real Madrid, but uh, Kylian Mbappe is uh, available. Uh, City could start talking to him in January if they really he want come, to. He ain't coming to City. <laughs> no chance. He's going to Real Madrid. Absolutely sure on that? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but they, <laughs> they might go back for Kane, though, Anya. Yeah, um, I wouldn't like them to, first of all. I just think we should bury that now and, and kind of get rid of it because I, I imagine he's still going to be a very similar price to what it was what he was this summer and adding on another season of, of potential injuries and the way that Spurs treat him in the in the matter that they kind of bring him back straight away after injury it's I mean I know he will probably still win the golden boot or, and do amazing things for Spurs in terms of scoring goals creating chances I just I think we should look somewhere else I think it's time to move on 
Yeah. And uh, we're going to finish with Kieran Murray, who sent me this over WhatsApp. That's the bonus you get with having my mobile number. Uh, with the unveiling of the statues of Silver and Company, do you not think that Yaya Toure is warranted a place in the conversation? With his monumental goals and achievements, where does he rank in terms of being one of City's all-time greats? And why do you think there isn't as much talk of him being recognised in sculpture form? Dan, what do you reckon? I'm a bit surprised Kieran didn't send that by fax, actually. That's what he usually uh, does with these questions, actually, <laughs> yeah. doesn't he, to be fair? Yeah, he does, actually, disappointing, yeah. but welcome to the 21st century, Kieran. Um, uh, yeah, I think monumental is the right word to use when it comes to Yaya, and I think his his contribution to the club's success definitely do, deserves a monument of some kind. Um I do wonder whether his, his numerous transfer requests and the stuff he said about Pep since leaving means he's kind of blotted his copybook a little bit in the club's eyes. And it's also true that he's Muslim and in the Islamic faith, they, they tend to avoid statues and sculptures because uh, idolatry is one of the, the gravest sins of their religion. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe that has something to do with it. But I would be interested to hear the official explanation as to why he's been ignored. But let's face it, if you know, if we're giving one to him, shouldn't Roberto Mancini have a statue? Pablo Zabaleta, maybe even someone like Edin Dzeko also in the conversation. Uh, it's kind of hard to know where to draw the line with these things. And I was, uh, I should say, really pleased to hear that they're going to be doing something for Belly and Summerby as well, because I think as much as the recent success has been really meaningful to us, we should never forget that this club has a, a really long and illustrious history to be proud of. And if it, if it were to me, the Etihad would be like, you know, that um, Anthony Gormley installation on Crosby Beach, just have statues <laughs> everywhere. Peter Swales, Alan Ball, Frank Sidebottom, get them all in. Yeah. Um, get, get some inside the stadium and that would fill up some of the empty seats as well, wouldn't it? Oh, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. <laughs> we, did, we, got, we got so far in without you Bertie and there we go. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it's there is there is the argument. I, I hadn't even considered the uh, the, the argument that uh, Torre is Muslim and, and might not take to it. But he 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 did play such a huge part in City. He was he was the player that scored the, the two goals that, uh, that that won them the, the first trophy, for instance. Yeah, everything Dan said there, I completely agree with. And as incredible a player Yaya was, and really vital to our success. All I can think of when I think of Yaya is is the Champions League curse that him and his manager placed on the club. Like, I don't know if you guys <laughs> know about this, but like, I just, I know he apologised for it a couple of years ago. I'm sure he did, but his manager never did. So when we made it to the final, in my mind, that was like, well, Yaya's curse is lifted. Now we need the manager's curse to lift. But obviously, <laughs> I think that when you when you leave a club and you go on and you say things like that, the the statue is kind of... Not, not, not maybe something that the club would be wanting to do. There was a lot there that kind of marred the way Yaya left. Yeah, if you could give one statue to to one former player or manager, Anya, who would it be? Do you think? Oh my god, that's not going to have what I mean. It it would have been David. He's got one clearly, and I think they're both beautiful statues of of him and company. <laughs> Um, but like you, you make the point there that Mancini and um, Zabaleta are in the in the same kind of kind of echelon as as the rest of the guys, so it, it is a difficult one. Where do you stop? Yeah, Dan, Kevin Keegan for you. I'd have Jamie Pollock cushioning ahead, <laughs> cushioning ahead about to the goalkeeper. Excellent, excellent. Marty Margitson would uh, would never come near the Etihad again, would he? That's the, uh, that, that, that's, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. He seems yeah. seems like a nice guy. Uh, right, so that brings us to the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, then please give it a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, but especially on Apple Podcasts if you can. Don't forget, we do a bonus podcast for Patreon backers as well. That's out every Monday, and we've got three new formats that we're running with this season. The latest is Adam Carter talking us through the five games that he was at that shaped him as a City fan. They're available for as little as £2 per month. Just take a look at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast for more details on how to subscribe. Special thanks also to my guests for today's show, Dan Burke. 
Thank you very much. And Anya Hudson. Thank you for having me. I'll be back next week, so I'll see you then. Take care. Is the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.